Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything didn't move. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast. Play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we have got our third and final NFC East preview as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 204. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Bob Stern from The Athletic about the Dallas Cowboys. How do the Eagles match up with the team down in Dallas? Well, we're going to get to some of their strengths, some of their weaknesses, the state of that roster, and again, how they match up with the Eagles entering the fall. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, really excited to welcome in this week's guest to Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. That is none other than Bob Sturm, who does an outstanding job covering the Dallas Cowboys down for the athletic in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, Bob, welcome to the show, man. Really happy to have you on. Uh, thank you, Fran. I'm a big fan. Well, really appreciate it. We'll, we'll get things going here. And kind of the same line of questioning uh, that we've done over the last two divisional previews. And I want to start really, I think I know what this answer's going to be, but we'll ask and we'll just jump right in. What's the biggest storyline for this Dallas Cowboys team at this point in the summer? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, this one is, uh, is, is nationally televised, as many Cowboys situations seem to be. But uh, there's no question. Uh, that uh, the contract talks of uh, Elliott, Prescott, and Cooper are far and away the biggest deals. And uh, if they're not, then uh, you can line up guys like Byron Jones behind them. Maybe uh, you can discuss Lyle Cowboys. Basically, the Cowboys have done a great job, Fran, of uh, home-growing their team. You know, they've, uh, they've drafted well, finally. There was a time 10 years ago where uh, the Cowboys and draft day were not great friends. But now, you know, you must say Will McClay, Stephen Jones, whoever's actually pulling the final trigger in that draft room is doing a great job. The problem with that, of course, is that they all come due at the same time, it seems like, contract-wise. And that's where we are right now. Now, I greatly admire uh, your front office's ability to seemingly do a lot of contract business in the offseason. That is not something the Jones family does well. It's like they almost prefer to do it during camp, and that gives me massive heartburn with regards to, you know, a distraction. I don't, I, I don't know any other way. It's got to be a huge distraction to see to be a player on this team and to know that your contract's coming up in a year and that all this cap room is going to be going to, you know, three or four or five players. It seems unhealthy, and it really seems unhealthy to me that the main storyline is the training camp have very little to do with the team, but such is life in cowboy land, my friend. Well, let's let me ask you this in regards to Ezekiel Elliott because he's such a foundational piece, not just for that offense, but for that team. He really makes them go. So uh, obviously, we've seen some young guys step in this summer, but how long do you foresee this situation with Ezekiel Elliott? I know he, he there was he was seen on flights uh, back to the area. We're recording this on Monday, uh, so it's a little bit later in the week by the time you're hearing this at home. But uh, as we stand here, as, as of this recording, how much longer do you think that this situation stretches on? Could it go into the regular season? 
Well, I, I don't think so. Um, again, uh, having covered this team for 22 years now, I have a good feel for how things go around here, it seems. And usually the Cowboys wait till the last minute to get these deals done, and then usually the deals get done near the deadline. So in our heads, is the deadline one week before the season starts? Is it 10 days? Is it three days? I, I that's That's sort of a moving target. But the idea that the player, A, will miss a good portion of the season, or B, want to get out of the franchise altogether, I've never really seen that with the Cowboys. It seems like most of their clients, most of their players, want to stay Cowboys, but they also want their fair share, meaning there are no hometown discounts, it seems. And so I think that's part of the glitz and glamour. I don't like it necessarily. Uh, I, you know, I, I think it's part of the deal that when you see your owner buy a $250 million yacht, the players are like, why should I take less than I can get? But in the end, I think both parties want Zeke to remain a cowboy. You and I can certainly get into the wisdom of paying a running back at the very top of the industry, but the Cowboys think he's Emmett Smith part two. And for that matter, they still kind of want to pattern their team after the 92, 93, and 95 Cowboys. And uh, we'll see if that works. I, I think you could find an awful lot of people that think they might be uh, a bit antiquated as an organization with their respect to the, uh, the way football was played in the 1990s. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is you can get into the philosophical discussion of whether it's right, but, uh, you know, they, they've made their bed at this point. Now it's time to, to kind of pay the piper and say, all right, now, you know, he, he's the fat. We've built it around him. He's the guy that we're going to run it through. Uh, I'm very interested, and you you mentioned it. Uh, a, cl- a ticking clock, uh, cl- clicking down to zero, is a great motivator. So I would expect that it would get done uh, sooner rather than later as well. All right, so yeah. Now that you get this out of the way, you've got uh, you know the contract situation. Is the what what is the other big concern for this team? I think moving into the season, if you were to go into it from a football only standpoint, what would you see as as the biggest concern for this Dallas team? I would say most would uh, suggest, uh, aside from the normal, we got to keep our guys healthy. We got to make sure Travis Frederick is back and those things. You know, the overall view when I got to camp that I really wanted to know about was how is this offense going to have more teeth? Um, you know, it's 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 one thing to say the Cowboys are in a good position talent wise. They are. It's another to say you know they they've built a pretty solid defense. They have. But at the end of this proverbial day, it's hard to ignore the fact that the final four teams in the NFL last year were the top four scoring teams. Uh, and so, you know, that seems to tell us that in uh, this National Football League, you're going to have to be able to figure out a way to get the 30 points on a pr- pretty regular basis to be a real uh, heavyweight. Uh, you, can, you can maybe win this particular division, especially if the Eagles uh, have uh, injury issues or or things like that, because I, I don't know that the Giants or Redskins are really even competing in 2019. So it's it's kind of a one-on-one battle between these two franchises. But beyond that, uh, you know, they, they can make the playoffs. They've shown that with Prescott and this offense like it is. But can they, can they win a couple games in January? And, you know, that's a 24-year-old question now. They haven't been to a title game in 24 seasons. I think only like the Redskins uh, can say that, maybe the Lions in the NFC. So that's a pretty dubious distinction for a team that gets this much, much ink. And, and, and the, the only solution I can see is they've got to become a more dynamic offense. And uh, you know the best two ways to do that are, A, 
explosive plays, and B, when you get down to the red zone, you got to go get seven. And the Cowboys were very, very poor in both of those categories last year. Otherwise, honestly, after the Amari Cooper trade, the offense was pretty good. But those two categories will bring you to your knees. The Cowboys, I think, were 29th in red zone offense, 32nd in first and goal touchdown percentage, meaning after a first and goal, do you get seven points? Not on that play, but after that play, do you get seven points? Cowboys were last in the league with Zeke. So, so that's puzzling. And then, of course, uh, explosive plays. I want to say they were about 27th and uh, 20 yards or more on, on given plays. And uh, obviously the football world has plenty of theories as to why that is, but we've got to get that fixed. So let me ask you this. I was going to ask you this earlier, but I think just trying to stay on topic. I mean, uh, Kellen Moore installed as the new offensive coordinator. What do you think are, are going to be the, the biggest changes, I guess, with him kind of taking hold? Uh, how much impact will Jason Garrett have? Uh, I know you guys are talking about it almost, I'm sure, daily uh, down there in Texas. But uh, for Eagles fans or you know NFL fans that maybe haven't heard that analysis, what kind of impact do you think he's going to have? And what will their bread and butter be on offense? Well, these are these are great questions. Uh, the the level of Kellen Moore's impact is open for debate. Uh, my view, of course, would be you have to start with this is Jason Garrett's contract year. He was not given an extension. Uh, most of Dallas was excited about his not being given a, an extension, but at the same time, we saw this in 2014 when he was in a contract year. They didn't give him a deal, and then the Cowboys had uh, maybe their best season in the last decade in 2014. And, you know, that death catch game in Green Bay, who knows what might have happened. But regardless, he got himself a new five-year deal. Well, here we are in year five, and this offense has pretty much been his since, really, 2007, if you want to go back to when he was hired to be the OC before Wade Phillips was even hired to be the head coach in what I would also call an ill-advised uh, decision to hire the staff before you hire the head coach, but that's a different story. So... Do I believe Kellen Moore will be handed the entire steering wheel of the offense? Not really. Uh, I, I, I wish he would because I have advocated for a fresh approach since, you know, Tony Romo 2012 maybe. Mm. I thought this offense needed an overhaul. Uh, it, it has obviously been overhauled a few times, but always with Jason Garrett at the helm. I expect Kellen Moore is going to bring a lot of new ideas uh I, you know they describe and, and everything's pretty close to the best in these preseason games but they want a lot more pre-snap motion they want a lot more uh you know use of uh, bunches uh, and tight splits and and complex simplicity if you want to steal the sean mcveigh term of the day uh lots of play action that turns into you know passes married to your run game and 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 just using zeke and todd Gurley type ways so do they have the right staff to do this? Great question. Going back to, you know, what do we expect this offense to look like? I assume, you know, they, they, they want route combinations that, that make things easier on their quarterback. He was sacked 58 times last year. Uh, and if you're going to call the Cowboys offensive line elite, I just don't see how you can give up that many sacks. Obviously, some are on the quarterback holding the ball too much, but I think if you look at film, and I know you do as much as anybody, there's a lot of times where the Cowboys were running very basic isolated route concepts with very basic wide receivers before the Cooper trade. So to put it all on Prescott is laughable in my opinion. 
Uh, at the same time, to call him Drew Brees is probably also laughable. So you need a scheme that can help the quarterback. I think I'm seeing more and more of that. I'm seeing route combinations that, that make logical sense, that put defenses in a bind. Uh, but, but honestly, it's not so much the scheme, Fran, as it is the disposition and the aggressiveness of the play calling. Are you willing to break form on first and ten and uh, allow better situations to pass the ball into? Don't always, you know, run Zeke, run Zeke, and now it's third and six. And uh, hey, Dak, go make some magic for us. That's you know, the Cowboys are are if if innovative is uh, the the, uh, the the way the league is going. I, you know, I think the Cowboys and Scott Lenahan the last couple of years have fallen into very predictable ruts. And, and, again, that's a trademark of the Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman Cowboys, but they were so good at it that you could be predictable. Uh, the NFL isn't like that right now, and the Cowboys offense sure isn't like that right now, so they really need uh, some play calling and some aggressive dispositions to, uh, to, to really allow their offense to be successful, I would say. So let's jump in, Bob, into their, their depth chart, and we'll kind of quickly hit position by position here, and then we'll let you uh, skedaddle. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about Dak Prescott. Where are you at at this point in his development? How, how do you kind of view Dak uh, big picture compared to some of the other young quarterbacks in the league, and where do you kind of see him in his development? There, there are some young guys behind him, you know, Cooper Rush, a Mike White, Taron Christian, uh, a rookie from uh, South Dakota State. He was completing passes to Dallas Goddard a couple years ago. When you look at that group, and namely Dak, how do you kind of view him big picture? Well, I think he's very good. I really do. I, I, I'm not going to get carried away and tell you he's a top ten quarterback because he's not. But but he does a lot of really useful things. Starting with, he's very intelligent. He does not make ill-advised throws. Uh, you know, if if I were to say what's some differences between uh, you know Prescott and your guy Wentz, I would say Wentz will will play a little like Phil Mickelson. He he's not laying up. He's going to go for, you know, if he sees a throw, he's going to trust his arm. And sometimes that's awesome, and other times it gets you into a little bit of a jam. Now, uh, I would say Wentz is very good at uh, making those decisions, but, uh, you know, now you go down the scale a little more to guys who don't make those decisions well, like, uh, let's say, Jameis Winston, and you would say the difference between Prescott and Winston is not arm strength and not the ability to make highlight throws. It's the ability to play winning football. And we can debate whether... Winning is a quarterback stat, but I really believe winning football is something a quarterback uh, invariably does. He either puts you in a better position to win or he puts you in a better position to get beat. Prescott never makes throws that get the Cowboys beat. Now, is he limited in the throws he makes to help them win? Clearly, they have been conservative with him, and at times he has missed throws. But give me the quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over, and we can start from there and build a team that at least plays to its paper. So I, I, I like Prescott. I think he's a perfect personality to be a quarterback for this franchise. I think there's a lot of quarterbacks in this league that would absolutely be crippled by the media scrutiny and the constant critiques and uh, you know analysis about their play because they're the quarterback of the Cowboys, you know, the center fielder for the Yankees. There are certain positions that are just going to get constant scrutiny and the quarterback of this franchise is a nationwide daily analysis and you know i would imagine it wears certain guys down prescott does not seem rattled by that so he he does not make big mistakes and he's got a really solid personality now 
also. Does he uh, make plays often enough to help you win, and can he keep up with Pat Mahomes and Jared Goff and Carson Wentz? That's that's probably a reason why he was drafted in the fourth round, right? So so can you pay him $32 million, $34 million? These are all very, very valid questions, but I do think at age 26, if he went on the open market, there would be high demand for him next spring, and he probably would end up with one of those five-for-150-type deals that will be given to the very rare, unrestricted free agent, 26-year-old starting quarterback who's never had a losing season. So that's where I'm at on him. Uh, as far as backup quarterbacks, the Cowboys have traditionally been very poor at planning for quarterback disasters, and I would say this year is no different. I think Mike White is probably not an NFL quarterback, and I would say uh, the only guy in front of him is Cooper Rush, and I would say Cooper Rush will probably be a really solid quarterback coach someday. I just don't believe he has much of an NFL arm, and he's not very dynamic. He understands the offense. He also makes smart decisions, but he's very limited. So uh, I, I'm, I'm always befuddled that the Cowboys don't spend more time or resources to uh, cover for the possibility of a Tony Romo or Dak Prescott injury, but they never do. They never use that cap space for anything other than league minimum at quarterback uh, at backup, and, and this year is no different. Well, as I'm listening to you talk about Dak and, and you know obviously his strengths, but also his limitations, you know it makes me think about the run game. And again, a team that really has kind of built themselves to that be the foundation. And you look at Ezekiel Elliott, you draft him in the top five, uh, you draft all those first round quality offensive linemen, put them around him. You want to structure that to be able to run the football. So. We know the kind of talent Zeke is. I know. I think that uh, most of our listeners know Zeke is, you know, arguably one of the one or two best running backs in the NFL in terms of talent. Uh, we talked about the the, the contract situation already. Uh, that we don't feel like it'll bleed into the regular season. My my question off of that though. You have these young guys that have gotten some buzz. You know, Tony Pollard, the fourth-round pick out of Memphis, uh, seems to have caught a lot of people's eye for what he's done so far this summer. Mike Weber, a seventh-round pick out of Ohio State, more of a, a guy that can handle the early down stuff, whereas Pollard, it seems, has a little bit more of a dynamic quality to him, was a running back wide receiver hybrid during his time with the Tigers, is used to playing in a committee kind of role. How do you think that these young guys, you throw in a Darius Jackson in there as well, how do you feel these young guys will be in the mix alongside Elliott? And if he were not to play, how would that picture change? Who would be kind of the bell cow for them? Well, I guess it depends on whether we're talking a week or two or a month. If yep. we're talking a week or two, then it's very possible they keep Alfred Morris around and just uh, you know trust him on things like blitz pickup and so forth and, and, and try to roll with him and, and don't hand a whole lot to the young guys. Now, Tony Pollard, for, for his lack of carries in the run game, uh, and, and whether or not he's more of a Kamara type, which of course is a bold claim, uh, I, I have been impressed with his ability as a running back. So that's probably more of an eight carry guy, ten carry guy if you're getting crazy. Uh, but but I guess that's most of the NFL these days anyway. So so I would say if Zeke is here, Zeke is going to get 95 percent of the running back touches. Yep. It's very possible that Pollard. And, uh, you know, runs more of a slot or, or, or complimentary, maybe some 21 personnel with two guys like that together. Uh, we, you know, we can certainly debate how they would try to get creative, but they've got to find a way to get Pollard on the field. But we know they don't take Zeke out. You know, Zeke is the very rare, uh, you know, 800 snap running back, it seems like in today's NFL. 
And, uh, you know, they don't mind giving him 400 touches, which is, seems crazy for career spans, but, but that's what they believe in him, and that's why they're willing to pay him what they're going to pay him. Uh, so, so behind him, you know, I, I like Darius Jackson more than Mike Weber, partly because I can get some special teams out of Darius Jackson, partly because, you know, I just, I, I just think he has a little more in his bag. But at the same time, you know, he's, he's a couple years older than Mike Weber, so they have a decision to make there. Um, I, I, I thought Pollard on Saturday night, though, and I wrote about this in the athletic today. I, I, I just think Pollard is going to be pretty special. That's, uh, that's the first, uh, you know, fourth round prospect. You know, they, they've had some guys who they thought were going to be weapons and then you see them in person and you don't see it. But with Pollard, you see it every day. He's got, he's got a real solid receiving component to his game. He can run between the tackles. I, I, I think they hit on something here. I know. In the last couple of years, uh, you know, in fact, the Eagles snagged uh, the the fourth rounder a couple of years ago, right in front of uh, the Cowboys space. Uh, Pumphrey. Pumphrey. Yep. Who am I thinking? Yep, Donald yeah, Pumphrey. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and so I know the Cowboys wanted him, and they ended up taking Ryan Switzer, and then they obviously didn't want Ryan Switzer about a year later. But I, I think you'll be hearing about Tony Pollard for quite a while. He he looks like a real special player, uh, although maybe not a traditional running back. We'll have to wait and see on that. Yeah, some of the uh, the two back sets, I like you mentioned, that that could be interesting. Something to, to follow from an X and O standpoint moving into the season. All right, let's get to the receiver group because we did have some turnover there. You lose Cole Beasley, one of the better slot receivers in the NFL. You go and get a veteran in Randall Cobb. Well, how do you feel that that uh, could impact this team? And then also talk about some of the other guys because you've got obviously we we know what Amari Cooper is. Michael Gallup now entering his second season. You've got Tavon Austin, Noah Brown currently on the pup list. Uh, what, how do you view this receiving core right now? Well, it all starts with Cooper, and, and obviously the Cowboys are in a weird spot here at camp that they haven't made a big deal about yet, but uh, there, is, there is some level of concern that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, they need Cooper and Byron Jones and Demarcus Lawrence and Zach Barton to get to practice pretty soon. They're all recovering from various things, but Cooper is dynamic as heck. Uh, you guys certainly saw that in Week 14. Uh, he's a he's a very very dangerous receiver who runs uh, fa- fantastic routes. Has zero diva in his game, uh, and, and and seemingly uh, just can do it all. I, I I'm not sure where I would rank him amongst the league's receivers, but it, it would be very high. He's he's very good at what he does. Uh, behind that, I think Michael Gallup really busted out last year. They missed on a couple close calls, but I I think he's going to be great. I was very pleased with him to, to fall to the third round to the Cowboys last year, and and I I think you know he needed a year to get his get his speed under him, but now he has the speed under him, and he's going to be solid. The Cole Beasley role is going to be gone because Randall Cobb does not do similar things to Cole Beasley, although they will both be in the slot a lot. Although I think you could put Cooper in the slot, so they have some decisions to make there. Uh, but I you know as long as Cobb is healthy. He can be a uh, downfield dynamic player as well. I think that, you know, the, the addition of Pollard and Cobb, I think, should, and Cooper for a whole season, all of those things speak to the idea that the Cowboys are going to have more explosive plays than they had last year for what it's worth. Uh, behind them, you know, they've got some decisions to make here in camp, and, and, and I, I certainly like, uh, you know, the ability that uh, I've seen from Cedric Wilson from Boise State last year, who was on the injured reserve. I think Devin Smith, the Jets' second-round pick from a couple years ago, blew his knee out twice, but he's had a very good camp. They've got a decision to make there. 
And then beyond that, they've got a couple guys that they'll probably try to get through their practice squad. Uh, John Vea Johnson uh, from Toledo uh, is, is one of those guys. But, uh, you know, there's, there's not a ton there. The question is, you know, what do you do with Tavon? And uh, is Tavon Austin solid enough? And, and, and has, he, has he shown enough? Uh, to to be worth the three million dollars and and just give you return man uh, you know ability because otherwise I think the addition of Randall Cobb sort of tells you that maybe Tavon is is not quite as required as we once thought so you know a wide receiver it's pretty good this year it's a million times better than it was at this point last year let's yeah. put it that way sure and you throw in some speed guys like a Wilson and a Devin Smith like you mentioned uh it will make for some interesting decisions here in a couple weeks for that team tight end uh familiar face Jason Witten returning he was listed number one on the death chart to open the preseason you have Blake Jarwin returning uh Dalton Schultz the the former fourth round pick I believe out of Stanford also returning uh when you look at that tight end room in general how, how do you kind of see that group moving into the fall well, that, that's a good question. I, I think they brought Witten back to uh, to help them on third downs and in the red zone, and I think he will. Although we should obviously modify our expectation level for him, I would I would imagine his fantasy stock is down considerably. But I'm not really a fantasy guy. Uh, you know, he's he's Jason Witten, so it's Y options all day for eight yards and fall forward and, and move the chains. Uh, Blake Jarwin, he he shows flashes, you know. He had that really big Week 17 against the Giants last year, and he is a seam guy. I just don't know how much they're going to go with 12 personnel when we talk about having to find snaps for Cobb and Pollard and all that. I think they want to be in 11 an awful lot. You know, maybe not quite to the Rams' extent at what 94 percent, but uh, you know, I just don't know that the Cowboys feel like 12 personnel is somewhere they want to spend a ton of their time. But Jason Garrett has always found those snaps. So I guess maybe that will be an indication of whether Kellen Moore or, J- or Jason Garrett are this offense. Dalton Schultz, because of Witten's return, probably moves to mostly special teams. I think they still like him. He's still very, very young, but uh, this will probably be a step back year for him a little bit, just, just out of opportunity because they really like Jarwin. And last time Witten was in a Cowboys uniform, he played every snap for about 10 straight years. So whether or not... They just have him in a part-time capacity. Many of us are suspicious that he's going to get his snaps. Well, let's talk about this offensive line. And you know, as Bill, you mentioned earlier, a lot of people view it as one of the elite offensive lines in football. But uh, as I'm trying to think, all right, what do I want to ask you about? All right, there's a couple guys. I feel like I've got a question about each. I don't want you to answer every single one. So whatever stands out to you, you let me know. You've got Tyron Smith, and there's the the back issue that has been you know has been a little bit of a recurring thing for him over the last few years. When he's healthy, one of the elite players at the position in the league. Connor Williams going into his second year. I'd love to know what the buzz has been with Connor Williams. Uh, Travis Frederick coming back uh, off his illness from last year. Uh, that's a, obviously a great story. Uh, I don't know how, what the buzz has been with Frederick. You have Zach Martin at right guard and outstanding player at that position. Then Lyle Collins, who has been up and down a little bit at right tackle with the addition of Williams last year, seems to kind of cement that they view Lyle Collins as the right tackle. Again, I don't want you to answer all five, but tell me what you think stands out most to you uh, from that group. Okay, I'm I'm going to say that I expect Tyron Smith will still be this team's left tackle in okay. five years. So so I realize the alarms are are sounding, but 
I also will tell you, he's 20, 28 now, I think, or 27. Crazy. He is chiseled. He looks great. He's an unbelievable player. I'm not worried about him. I'm not worried about Zach Martin, although clearly hearing about uh, back issues in uh, August 1st or whatever is not a great sign. Yep. But he's never been anything less than like the second-best right guard in football, so I've got no problems there. Travis Frederick is not giving me any indications that uh, he's in bad shape. Uh, I clearly that is a dangerous thing to to a year long illness to just assume everything's fine now and he's going to go back to being an all pro. But uh, your guy and and maybe few others are as good at center as Travis Frederick. So let's assume those spots are all resolved as a rock. That leaves us with the two trouble spots: right tackle, partly because Lyle Collins is in his contract here, partly because he's not that good. Uh, you know, I w- I would say. You can look at right tackle and left guard and say, what should the Cowboys do versus what are they going to do? Uh, what should they do? Man, you could argue they should put Connor Williams over at right tackle already and begin to uh, you know transition Lyle Collins out of the mix just because they're not going to pay him what he will earn on the open market. I'm not saying you should bench him, uh, but I am saying maybe – you should put Connor Williams as the backup right tackle and just let him figure out how to play right tackle so he's ready to do it first thing in 2020. Partly because I don't think Connor Williams, even with added weight and strength, is a very good left guard. And I think your Penn State kid, uh, Connor McGovern, is probably the best left guard on the roster if it's not Lyle Collins, by the way. And uh, and 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 but Connor McGovern has not has not been real healthy here in camp, and we haven't seen a ton of him. So I'm going purely on his Penn State tape. So, you know, there's there's some movement here. I, I think it boils down to the fact that the Cowboys overdrafted a local kid in Connor Williams because it's a great local story and they think he can grow into his role. But then they asked him to play a position he never played last year and, and, and guys like Juan Short and Fletcher Cox just, you know, tossed him around the field. And and so, um, you know, he's not a good matchup inside. We assume he'll be a decent tackle because he was at Texas, but even that is a good question against the monsters who play the edge in the NFL. So, I, you know, Ryan Kerrigan destroys Lyle Collins. I would not give Lyle Collins big money, but to be a, a, an elite offensive line, they need a big year for him, and they'll probably get a big year because he knows how much money's at stake for him. And then I think they're going to go with Connor Williams at left guard again, which, like I said, last year was a real disaster. And you could argue the Cowboys got better when he got hurt, and uh, they replaced him with Xavier Suofilo. So there are some question marks here, but of course, usually, if you have three guys who are all potential all pros, the other things will generally fall in place. I, so I, I, I will say, why will this team be better than last year in the 58 sacks and so forth and so on? I think it starts with Travis Frederick's back, and, and they become a much more intelligent offensive line with him at center. They become a, a much more solid, you know, now if Connor Williams is between Frederick on his right and Tyron on his left, that probably sets up way better for him. So I expect they're going to return to their earlier form, which is probably very, very good. I just hate to throw around the tags of the lead and best in the NFL when they really have two years in a row of, of, of not going to that paper, in my opinion. So we've been on for a little more than a half hour, just about a half hour. We have not spent one iota talking about the Dallas defense, and I agree with you. You see, you did mention earlier they've built up 
a, a really nice defense. They've drafted well at all three levels. They've got players. I, I want to ask you about this defensive line. Uh, you know, no Demarcus yeah. Lawrence. He is on the pup list, as you mentioned. Uh, but you did go. They went and signed Robert Quinn. They've got a former first round pick in Taco Charlton. Their hope uh, can kind of reach that level of play that they were uh, expecting of him when they made him a first round pick. Randy Gregory suspended, so he he's out of the picture at the moment. A couple of the young guys, Jalen Jelks, they drafted this year. Dorrance Armstrong a year ago. Uh, defensive tackle, Tyron Crawford is also uh, on the pup list. Has been a great, versatile player for them over the last few years. Malik Collins, Antoine Woods, they draft Tristan Hill, I know flashed uh, this weekend in the team's second preseason game. You look at this defensive line, Rod Marinelli, he wants to come at you in waves and rotate. How do you kind of view that group? Are they deep enough to sustain uh, what Marinelli is hoping to put on the field this fall? They're as deep a defensive line as I've seen in Dallas since probably 2008 or so wow. when, uh, when, Wade, when Wade Phillips' crew uh, led the NFL in sacks, I think, there for a couple straight seasons. Uh, so, so their depth is great. Now, clearly, 325 week one, are they going to be in, in, you know, in, in full form? Well, absolutely not. Quinn won't be there right away. Uh, Lawrence is, is iffy. And uh, Gregory is, is clearly iffy, although maybe the Josh Gordon's news of last week will be followed with some Randy Gregory news this week. We don't know. If everyone was healthy and everyone was available, which is seldom the case in Dallas with defensive line, uh, I don't think Taco Charlton makes this team. I really don't. I, uh, he's, he's big. He's talented. He'll get cracks in other places. But, uh, you know, I think the only thing that's going to put him on this roster is all of the stuff we've already mentioned about the uh, inavailability of some of these other guys. So at the edge, I love the kid from Miami, Joe Jackson. Yep. I think Dorrance Armstrong has been great. I think Kerry Hyder is very talented. So, so they've got five, six, maybe even seven edge guys who are, are rotational and could all get five, you know, they're not all going to get five sacks, but they all, it would not shock you if, if a couple of these backup guys that just go in on nickel downs are able to get to the quarterback four or five times this season. They're, they're very stacked there. I, I really like what they have. And the starting bookends of Lawrence and Quinn, I mean, how many teams in the NFL have two guys that could both get, you know, do that well? I, I would say, that's, that's a very formidable duo, and, and, and Lawrence is, is fantastic. Everybody knows that. Tackle's a little less impressive. Malik Collins is in a walk here. Antoine Woods is very solid at the one technique. Tristan Hill, as you said, has a little ways to go. And Tyrone Crawford is just that guy that you can throw anywhere, and he'll at least give you everything he's got. So they're fine at defensive tackle. I think they're potentially excellent at defensive end. And the unit as a whole, you know, I – it's tough to throw around, you know, cops for it, sure. but uh, the the seven or eight man rotation where you really don't get much of a break as an offensive line, you could argue the Cowboys have built something like that for 2019. Then they lose some guys with contracts, and they're going to have to figure it out again. But for this season, especially if you know Quinn's back week three, Lawrence is back, let's say week one or two, and uh, if they get good Gregory news. Man, those three edge guys are all legit. Randy Gregory is really, really coming into his own, and I know he's he's a walking problem off the field. But if the league continues to lighten up on marijuana, uh, you know, I think most of his problems all go away. He's but but as but as just a physical specimen, Randy Gregory is a beast, and uh, and and I I, I think uh, you know a, a real real difference maker. But he might not even be a starter with this group unless they want to shove one of those other two inside on nickel downs. And then, geez, that's uh, 
that's that's com- comparable to to you know the best in the league and what they can do on nickel pass rush. And you could make an argument that there's no better young duo of linebackers than what Dallas has now. And Jalen Smith, who uh, is now, what, three years removed from that disastrous knee injury in his final season at Notre Dame. And then Leighton Vander Esch, who uh, really stepped in so well last year as a first-round pick out of Boise State, uh, a player I was a big fan of coming out of college and, you know, really has kind of given them that boost is, you know, when Sean Lee uh, suffers an injury, now you've got that guy that can step in. And, of course, he has stepped in permanently now, it seems, uh, to be that second linebacker along with Jalen Smith you still have Sean Lee there in the wings uh would you agree it's uh, it's probably viewed league-wide as one of the better young duos in the in the NFL oh yeah yeah those two those two are ridiculous uh Van Der Esch and his size and his uh, movement skills are just off the charts Jalen coming into his own you know I don't know if it's Keekly and Thomas Davis of a couple years ago or some of these other duos but they can run and they can hit, and, and they're both very, very impressive, and they're both going to need an awful lot of money very soon, so add them to the contract list. Right. But uh, they're, they're stacked there. Sean Lee now is your third linebacker. That's that, what a luxury that is. And, and you know, behind that, I, I think Joe Thomas is one of those guys we don't talk about enough. Hmm. But, uh, you know, you even have some injury cover there because as far as nickel linebackers, who aren't starters in this league, but perhaps could be in a pinch. I, I would say Joe Thomas should be very high on that list. And then I got a couple other guys that can help on special teams. So linebacker used to be a position they completely ignored or botched. Uh, you might remember first rounder Bobby Carpenter and things like that. But uh, but those days are gone. They've hit on these guys. Like I said, the front office on draft day has been excellent. And uh, you don't have to look much further than linebacker to see what we're talking about. And then lastly, you get to that secondary, and you, you've got Byron Jones, another player also on the pup list right now, not practicing, but you've got Chidobe Awuzie, the, the former second-round pick out of Colorado, Anthony Brown uh, from Purdue, Jordan Lewis, uh, the nickel corner uh, from Michigan, who's also played a lot outside as well for Dallas. Uh, Xavier Woods has really come into his own. He was another personal favorite uh, of mine from Louisiana Tech and has really kind of taken over that free safety role, allowed them to move Byron Jones to, uh, to corner. And Jeff Heath uh, still uh, listed as a starter, and I would say that's pro- that's probably honestly the weak point of that defense. And when you look at this secondary yeah. though as a whole, how do you kind of see that group? No, I I think you nailed it. I I think the the wild card, of course, this year, if everyone's healthy, the wild card is is Xavier Woods right on the breakout point that I think he is. Uh, I, I you know I liked him. I didn't love him the first time I saw him here, and I thought he played very tentatively early on, especially when they put him at free safety last year when they moved Byron Jones back to corner. But as the season went on last year, he started seeing things and started slowing down, and he started making splash plays, and he started jumping routes, and and now it kind of looks like he's ready to be a playmaking safety. You could argue for him the Cowboys have not had a playmaking safety uh, since Darren Woodson and Roy Williams were together. And uh, now you're talking 15 years. So I don't mean to get carried away, but this is not a team that's had Brian Dawkins running around. I'll tell you that right now. So, so uh, this, that that would be huge if they can run a cover three with a free safety who's looking to take the ball away. Uh, that might that might even knock their defense up to another level. So if, if Cowboy fans are pretty uh, pretty stoked about the level of talent. And the ability of their defense, so you 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 can definitely see it, you know as to why that would be there. And at every level, you know, Jeff Jeff Heath is limited. There's no doubt, 
but he's still a guy that's hard to get off the field. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to take his job. And trust me, they've tried to give his job to other people, and they keep coming back to Jeff Heath. So, so if that's the one spot on the field that you're saying, okay, I'm not worried about that, that means they got 10 excellent starters on this defense. And, uh, you know, that, that might be enough with what they can do offensively to, uh, to win double-digit games this year. You know, Rod Marinelli was the def- or is the defensive coordinator. Comes from that Lovey Smith, Tony Dungy school. You know, a lot of zone heavy stuff, mostly cover two. That was the identity years ago. Seemed to shift more into more single high, more man coverage, and then they go and get Chris Richard, who was a very highly regarded coach uh, from the Pete Carroll tree. So, do you feel like it'll be mostly cover three, like zone heavy this year? How do you feel that the, from a tactical standpoint that this defense will look on the back end? Well, they're 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 big cover three, cover one, basically. Yeah. So so they 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 love you know they love to make you think it's cover three, and it often is on first and ten. But uh, then they love to go to you know cover one robber and and things of that nature, and they, they you know they they use a two shell to to try to disguise it a little bit, but don't fall for it. The only time they're really in cover two, besides uh, you know late in games, is. They like to do it sometimes in the red zone and sometimes on third and long, but but they're not really too high anymore unless it's it's just a complete shell. So so cover three is is their bread and butter. They love it on early downs especially, and uh, and then by third down uh, they, they they like to man up, and they have a lot of confidence that they have the corners that can do that sort of thing. So uh, I guess talent makes you more dynamic as a defense. It gives you options, and uh, with Richard kind of taking most everything but the title from Rod Marinelli. It kind of looks like uh, they're moving in that general direction. I'm not saying they got Legion of Boom talent necessarily, but at the same time, they're not miles away from it. Uh, they kind of snuck up on everybody because it's so homegrown and because they didn't splash with going to get Earl Thomas or whatever. Uh, you know, it's, it, it might still be a bit of a secret in this league, but they're, they're very impressive. Uh, and then the last question I've got for you, I've asked everybody this over the last couple of weeks. How do you feel that the, the Cowboys would try and match up to the Eagles in 12 personnel? You know, we, it's been a, a huge talking point here in Philadelphia, the pair of Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard, Dallas Cowboys uh, got a chance to see Dallas up close last year with what he was able to do in the passing game, and he was outstanding at, in the run game as a blocker as well. How do you feel that the, that the Cowboys would try and match up to those two guys when they're on the field together? I imagine, uh, I thought about this, what makes the Cowboys pretty unique, and I think we saw this in the game back in Week 10 up there at the link, is they don't mind asking Xavier Woods to play far more up by the line of scrimmage against the Eagles so that he can uh, try to uh, man up against, uh, you know, whether it's Goddard or Hurts. And then the other one they don't mind uh, asking from uh, in early downs is Jalen Smith to match up a little bit. And, and, and clearly... You don't want to do it all the time, and you don't want to telegraph it when you are doing it because there are ways to beat a linebacker in coverage or a you know, safety smaller in coverage like that. But they're really good at mixing up what they do, and therefore most of the time they can get away with it. So will they stick to straight nickel against 12 personnel and take their chances up front with those linebackers stopping the run? Yeah, probably in most cases. Uh, but but uh, other times they might say let's 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 try to roll with base and uh, and, and ask Jalen to run with these guys and have a little safety over the top. So I think the Cowboys probably put their defense together to somewhat deal with what the Eagles have been throwing at them. So you know, not that you're going to limit them completely because that that 
Zach Ertz is insane, and, and, and Goddard's obviously very, very impressive. And we saw him, you know, run over Heath on his way to a touchdown that was probably improperly called back in Dallas last year. So the Cowboys will get their hands burned. But for the most part, I think they like taking their chances with uh, the guys they have on the field because they think their guys are, are awful versatile, partly because their guys are awful versatile. Well, Bob, you've just been extremely generous with your time. Awesome stuff. Really appreciate the time here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. We will uh, talk to you again soon, my friend. Love doing it. Let's talk again. Great stuff from Bob, and you could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at SportsSturm. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on any form of social media. That's a great way to support the show, but the best way, the number one way, is to go onto Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen, and leave us a rating and leave us a comment. I want to give a shout-out to a couple people that left some comments here this week. Matt said it's great to finally see that the Eagle Eye articles are coming out after listening to all the training camp breakdowns each and every day. Love the articles on the young offensive and defensive linemen. In your videos I like watching the spotlighted player then watching the other players not in the spotlight. It seems like Jordan Mailata and Matt Pryor are right on track. Matt, really appreciate you listening and of course reading. Yeah, if you go and watch those plays, it's, it's, it, I'm glad that you do that because uh, that's something that not everybody I feel does is go back don't just focus on the players that we're trying to spotlight. In fact, I think it was in that defensive lineman article. I didn't do a good enough job of showing some of those other guys and some of those other plays because, you know, I'll mention, oh, you know, Josh Sweat really doing a nice job stringing multiple pass rush moves together. Didn't show that on some of the plays that I spotlighted, but if you go and look at some of those plays by Sharif Miller and by Deshaun Hall and some of those other guys, you know, Trayvon Hester, you could see some of the things that Sweat was doing with his hands, some of the techniques that he was working on. So, Matt, really appreciate uh, you going and reading and listening and following following along. Uh, Better Him Than Me also commented saying, why are division games so close regardless of team records every year for the most part? Is it just the familiarity of teams playing each other twice a year or do teams in the NFCs build their teams to compete specifically against other teams in the division with a different NFCs division winner every year since Terrell Owens was in Philadelphia? Something is at play. And that's a a great question. uh, And honestly, it kind of deserves maybe a longer form podcast. Maybe we can get into that next offseason. But really, if you talk to people around the league, one thing that general managers and coaches will say, when we're building a team, when we're trying to start from scratch, we want to win the division first. The best way to get to the playoffs is to win the division. So you want to try and beat those three teams in your division. Obviously, it accounts for six games on your 16-game schedule. So yeah, you are trying to compete with those other three teams and try and win that division. That's the number one goal to start things off. Yeah, you want to win a Super Bowl. You want to compete for the NFC title. But you can't get to those places If you don't compete in your division first, whether you're first or second place and get into the playoffs as a wild card. So, yeah, teams definitely are keeping stock of what the other three teams in their division look like. You always want to get a competitive edge over those other three teams. And, yeah, there is a reason why those games are always so close. Think about it. You know, if you're a t- if you're a coaching staff and you're in a one place for an extended period of time, if there's lots of continuity, you get pretty used to breaking down those three teams because you see them twice a year. So you're constantly able to reflect back on notes, especially if there's continuity on both staffs. I know I feel it. You know, even uh, you know Ben Fennell and I, when we're getting ready for Eagles game plan every week during the course of the season, and we're getting ready to take on the Dallas Cowboys or we're t- getting ready to take on you know the Washington Redskins. 
we've seen these teams. We've seen this offense. We've seen this defense. We kind of know what to expect when we go into the week of study. Obviously, the coaches feel that same way. The players feel that same way. So there is certainly certainly a lot more familiarity there uh, when you're preparing for those teams from an X's and O's standpoint. So great question uh, from both Matt and from Better Him Than Me. Really appreciate the support. And again, that is the number one way to support this show is go on, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. You guys have done an outstanding job this summer during training camp. We've gotten so many ratings and so many reviews, uh, and that's a, a credit to all of you guys out there. Really appreciate you generating that kind of support because guess what? In a, in a couple weeks here, we're getting back to our regular season format. Greg Cosell will be in the studio every single Monday night. We'll be breaking down what we saw from the Eagles on film as well as the next week's opponent, giving you a preview for the week to come. Really appreciate everybody for tuning in for another episode here of the Eagle Line the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.